Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Vanguard. I don't know about you, but that sunrise this morning, wow. That just makes me happy to see the sun come up, to see the glory of God revealed in his creation. Did anybody see the moon last night? Did anybody see that? Oh, my soul. Wasn't that beautiful? Wasn't that a, those are gifts. Those are reflections of the glory of God in our lives. Did you know that you can see the glory of God in the laughter and the smile of a little baby? Right, Lynn? Amen? Showed me a picture this morning of your grandbaby, and I could not help but see the glory of God in the smile of that little one. Where do you see the glory of God in your life? You go, well, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I do. Well, when you feel like you can't see the glory of God in your life, can I give you an encouraging word? Okay, all right, just checking. Didn't know if you wanted any encouragement today or not. When you cannot see the glory of God around you, close your eyes and say to God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Amanda, wherever you are in the house, thank you so much leading us this morning. Amazing, amazing worship. Tuesday night in this room, worship in the round. If you were able to be a part of it, you experienced it. But if not, uh, from the front of the room to the, excuse me, from the front of the room to the back of the room, the glory of God, the manifestation of his presence. And then this past Wednesday night, we stood around the room uh, as a family and prayed in our final midweek uh, before we go on break this summer. And it was just awesome to look around the room, hold hands with everyone and be in a room with people and pray together and thank God for his goodness to us. It is so easy in a fallen world to only see the dark things. It is so easy in a fallen world, in a world where, I don't know if you like basketball, but I love basketball. I love Jesus more, just so you know. But I love basketball, and I love when the, when the commentators say things like this. Well, he's 38, and he's 35, but somehow or another, they're still uh, figuring out how to get their shot off. And so I told Pastor Jenny this morning, I've been studying some of these guys because I'm an old guy myself. And so what does it take to get your shot off as you get older? What is it going to take for you to experience the glory that God has for your life as you age in this life? Because how you accomplished uh, experiencing the glory of God in the younger years of your life is not going to be how God is going to reveal his glory to you in the latter years of your life. Amen, Pastor John? And so you have to look for it. You have to look for it. There's always something to be discouraged about. 
There's always something to be discouraged about. And so that is an established, ongoing, constant, never-ends aspect and a part of life. And so we understand that, but in the midst of that, we want to experience the glory of God. And see, what God said to Israel is, I want you to build me a house, and I want to call it the temple. And every time you go there, I want you to understand that this is a physical replica of my Shekinah glory. And I want you to come, and I want you to experience my presence, and I want you to rise above just all the frailty of your life, and all the injustice of your life, and all the things that you can't reconcile in your life. And I want you to say to me, show me your glory, God. Amen? Show me your glory. Show it to me. I want to see it in the pain of my life. I want to see it in the darkness of my life. I want to see it when I wear flip-flops on Sunday morning. By the way, I painted my one nail here. I don't know if you can see that. Every week, somehow or another, somebody steps on the one big toe that has the broken blood underneath the toe. And I'm reminded again of why am I doing this, right? I'm do- you know why? You know why? Because I love it. You know why I do this? Because I love it. This is what I was made for. There's, it's so easy. You know, I'm married to Tasha because I love her. There's, it's so easy to lose sight of the passion of your life because you become consumed by the weight of it. Amen? And see, God wants to remind us we come to his house to experience his glory. His glory. And so today, I want to invite you to take your program, your Bible, your internet device, and we're going to look today at just 12 verses, Ezekiel 43, and we're coming, uh, if you know anything about Ezekiel, there's 48 chapters, so we're certainly coming to the end of this series, and uh, we have three more weeks after today, and we'll conclude on May 28th, uh, which I don't know if you know this or not, May 28th is Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost Sunday is 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. It's when God showed his glory and sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of people in Acts chapter 2. Well, Living Word, our Spanish-speaking sister church that meets here in T6 on Sunday afternoons, they're going to join us for those two services. And so... Get your seatbelts, get ready. It's going to be a great weekend uh, as Pastor Claudia and I bring the message together. Our worship teams are going to bring them, uh, the worship together, and we're going to celebrate Pentecost Sunday together. Uh, and so I hope that you can be a part of that. I want to encourage you to share the service today. Invite somebody to experience the glory of God in their life. And listen to me, you don't have to come to God's house to experience God's glory. I experienced it last night in seeing the moon. I experienced it this morning and in, in getting to see the sun come up. The glory of God is to be seen in a myriad of places. Look at Ezekiel 43.1. We're going to ask this question today. How is the glory of God revealed through the temple, through God's house? Look at verse 1. Now, after this, now, let me stop there just a second. So in case you weren't a part of last week's message, what is the after this here? 
Well, last week we talked about how God reveals his holy presence through physical structures and physical details. Amen? And so did you look for that this week? Did you look for God in the physical details of your life? See, last year, I bought 10 new blue spruces because I love blue spruces. And seven of them died. And so, guess what? I had a one-year guarantee. Thank you, Lord. And so, I replanted those seven dead trees with new trees yesterday. See, there are some things in life that will remain dead. Do you understand that? So, will you plant anything new? And see, what I love about planting trees, Lynn, is that I'm not going to be here to enjoy most of that tree's life. But somebody is. And all the trees on my farm, uh, I've got one that they think is probably could be close to 200 years of age. Somebody planted that tree for me. And so what are you doing in your life right now physically to give new life to generations to come? Or is it just all about you? Is it just all about the death in your life? Or are you going to get up out of the darkness of your life at some point? And I realize that I'm, I'm, I'm stepping into the raw part of your soul right now. Are you going to get up out of that and say, God, I want to be used by you to show your glory to generations to come? Amen? amen. Come on, amen? amen? But you've got to make the choice. So after this. The man, we know uh, all throughout, Ezekiel, that's Jesus, the man brought me back around to the east gate. Now, look at what the prophecy is of the east gate here, and then we're going to take a look at a couple of pictures. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4. Now, on that day, his feet, and this is Jesus, will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will split apart, making a wide valley running, that's the Jezreel Valley, running from east to west. I've stood in that valley. Half the mountain will move toward the north, and half the mountain will move toward the south. Now, I've stood on the Mount of Olives, and so I want to show you this picture. Lord willing. So I want to tell you about this picture. When I took this picture, I was standing on the Mount of Olives. Down here below, I want you to know those are all graves. Those are dead people. And then as you, no, no, go back. Go back, Kyle. Uh, As you go down into the valley, you see where there's trees down in the valley, and then you start to go up. You see somewhat of a wall, there's, there's the dome. Do you know that's the dome of Muhammad built on the temple of God Almighty? Those are trees that have grown in the temple mount. Now go to that next picture, Kyle. Now, if you go down to where you see that stack that's higher than the rest of the wall, do you see that to the right there? 
almost to the end. That is the eastern gate. Okay? And what Zechariah 14 is telling us is that Jesus, that's Christian, Jews would say the Messiah hasn't come yet, that the Messiah is going to come onto the Mount of Olives. He's going to come down into that valley across those graves. Now, why are those graves there? Because these people want to be the first people to get up out of the grave to meet the coming Messiah. And so these are priority graves on planet Earth. And then you go down and then you come up out of the Jezreel Valley, you see the wall. Well, what's interesting about the Eastern Gate, in 1541, Solomon, the Muslim, put 15 feet of concrete to seal these gates so that the Messiah in the Bible could not come through these gates. And they built that dome to Muhammad because they believe that Muhammad is going to come from the sky and he is going to land there at the dome of Muhammad. Now, as I sat behind the coexist car uh, at the light this week, I said to myself, no offense, that's an ignorant bumper sticker. Because you're using symbols and none of those symbols agree in coexistence. None of them do. Somebody's coming back. Somebody's coming back. The glory of God was revealed through, and we're going to see this today, through Jesus. And he's coming back. And when he comes back and he sweeps across this valley and he goes through those doors that nobody can open but him, those people in those graves are going to get up and meet Jesus Christ himself. And we're going to see that today. We who are dead in Christ will, what's the Bible say? We'll rise first. Thanks, Kyle. This is the gate that Jesus will enter when he returns. Look at verse 2. Suddenly, the glory of God, there it is, of Israel, appeared from the east. And so here is Ezekiel giving us this prophecy originally. The sound of his coming was like the roar of rushing waters, and the whole landscape shone with his glory. That's a great sound. So look at how the verses of Jesus' second coming parallel. Matthew chapter 24, verse 27. For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it'll be the Son of Man comes. So here we are seeing uh, Matthew saying what Ezekiel talked about Jesus is going to do. And then at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming. Isn't that kind of cool? Matthew's calling the Son of Man, the same one that Ezekiel called. He was called the Son of Man. He understands this is the favorite word that Jesus chose to refer to himself. There'll be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. He'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he'll send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet. They'll gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Now listen to how Paul describes it, 1 Thessalonians 4.16. For the Lord himself, Jesus himself, is going to come down from heaven with a commanding shout. I can't wait to hear it with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers, here it is, who have died will rise from their graves. 
Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And that's not the eye cloud, by the way, all right? That is the real clouds. Then we'll be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. So that's what we're doing right now. This is where it's all going. You go, yeah, but I'm in chaos, confusion. I understand that. I understand that. But if you're going to get through what you're going through right now, you've got to remember how it's all going to end up. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Now look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 51. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. I love wonderful secrets. We will not all die. I hope, I hope this is true for our generation. We will not all die. But we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment. So suddenly, in the blink of an eye, did you just blink? It just happened. When the last trumpet is blown, when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. We who are living will also be transformed, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. And what he's saying there is, if you want to live forever, you've got to either die physically or Jesus has to return. Those are the only options. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Then I love how John the Beloved, John the Revelator, I love how he describes it because it's a big deal. Look at Revelation eleven fifteen, and we basically uh, covered the entire Bible here. The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices shouting at heaven. The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and we will reign forever and ever and ever. So my effort, your effort, is that we will eventually reign with God and not only see his glory, but be a part of experiencing it with him. Amen? So how is the glory of God revealed? Through the temple, because it goes all the way back to Ezekiel 43. Number one, it's revealed through Jesus' second coming. It's revealed through Jesus' second coming. So what is happening in Ezekiel 43 and what is happening, if you back up to Revelation chapter 11, is that God is saying, I am moving everything in order to establish this temple. I am moving you toward the end. And so that's important because we're going to see the role we play as we get to the end of this. So think about these two bookends. God is building a physical temple so that we can anticipate the second coming of Jesus. So everything physical in your life, God is trying to drive you to a remembrance that Jesus is coming back again one day. And he's going to come through that gate. Now look at Ezekiel 43 too. Suddenly, I love that. The glory of the God of Israel appeared from the east. The sound of his coming uh, was like the roar of rushing waters and the whole landscape shone with his glory. So going back and remembering 
It's going to be one of the most glorious moments in history when Jesus does this. He's going to fulfill all of the prophecies in this, morning, in this moment. And now listen to me. The justice of God always seems slow until it happens. That's my experience in life. The justice of God seems slow until it happens. And when it happens, it always is described this way. Suddenly, 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 suddenly. And so you need to understand, it seems like it won't ever come. And then when it comes, it makes your head spin because it feels like it comes so quickly. So there's a big sound. There's a big shining glory. I can't wait. So Ezekiel continues. Look at verse 3. This vision was just like the others I had seen, first by the Kabar River. And this goes back to Ezekiel 1. This is the river, and we'll keep coming back to this river. Then when he came to destroy Jerusalem, I fell face down on the ground, and the glory of the Lord came into the temple through what? Somebody say it. The East Gateway. The East Gateway. Verse 5, then the Spirit took me up and brought me into the inner courtyard, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And I heard someone speaking to me from within the temple. And while the man who had been measuring stood beside me, the Lord said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place where I will rest my feet. This is my living room where I'm going to kick back and enjoy myself. Still, There we go. Uh, Everybody needs a man cave right? Where when you go to your man cave, you just put your feet up and you rest. Every woman needs a woman cave. You go, that doesn't sound like fun. A beauty cave, whatever, right? So how is the glory of God revealed through the temple? Number two, it's revealed through the structural specifications pointing to Jesus. It's revealed through the, speci- oh, excuse me, the structural specifications pointing to Jesus. You say, show me. I'm glad you ask. The throne is something that you stand on. Okay? Here is the Messianic prophecy about the coming Savior during the time of David. Look at Psalm 110.1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So this is a prophecy about the throne of God. Jesus is quoting uh, this psalm in Luke chapter 20, verse 41 to 43. And I want you to understand that any Jewish person who heard Jesus quote this psalm understood that Jesus was saying to them, that's me. That's me. This throne is about Jesus. You say, how do I know that? Look at Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to see it here. Now, long ago, God spoke many times in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through who? Somebody say it. His son, Jesus. God promised everything to the son as, his, as an inheritance. And through the son, Jesus, he created the universe. The son radiates God's own, somebody say it, 
glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything, Jesus, by the mighty power of his command, his word. And when he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. Now he's going to get more specific now about this throne. Look at Hebrews 1.8. But to the Son, Jesus, here's what he says. Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of, somebody say it, justice. Anywhere where there is no justice, there will be justice. You love justice, you hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of, somebody say it, what kind of oil? Joy. More than anyone else. He also says to the Son in the beginning, the Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, you made the heavens with your hands, they will perish, but you remain forever. They'll wear out like old clothing. You'll fold them up like a cloak, like a coat, and discard them like old clothing. But you're always the same. You will live forever. And God never said to any of his angels, set in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet, your throne. Isn't that beautiful? Now, I know it makes your head spin to try to piece all of these verses and passages together. And I would encourage you to spend some time meditating on them. But basically what's happening here over thousands of years of history God is saying, everything I said in Ezekiel is fulfilled through Jesus. And the specifications of the space of the temple was so that anyone who was willing to observe could observe that Jesus is the one the whole entire Old Testament was talking about. And so we look back at that now. Jesus stands in our midst as the perfect man, perfectly uh, still God, and yet perfectly in the flesh. And listen to the promise that is given to us. I will live here forever among the people of Israel. Do you know why we get together? You go, yeah, because we really like each other. So when we no longer like each other, we stop getting together? Pretty much. But that's not what church is supposed to be about. Church is not about just getting together with people we like. Church is supposed to be about getting together with people of like-minded faith because God is working how? In us. Okay, that's great. But if he's only working in us, we don't need to get together. The reason why we get together is because God is working among us. Does that make sense? And if you want to experience everything that God has for you, you have to be in fellowship with other believers because there are blessings that God will withhold from you because he's not going to give them to you just through you. He's going to give them to you because we are among each other and he is working among us. Amen? Amen. So Pastor Aaron invited me to come to the Unveil Worship Conference uh, at the road. Uh, and so I went on Friday morning. And so I only have one goal. I want God to speak to me. Okay? I want God to speak to me. 
And so I go to stand in this room and, and worship begins. And, uh, and as we experience this, God just begins to speak. Because see, whatever God is doing among those people on Friday morning, he began to move in me and he began to speak to me and he began to show me and reveal to me revelation about my own life and, and, and God's calling on my life. And so I want to encourage you that when we come together, God is working in you, but he's working among us. And as he works among us, he has something that he wants to say to us. Amen? And so when I'm in a room with other believers, I always pray this prayer, Lord, whatever you're doing among them, do it in me. And people might go, well, you know, that ain't my flavor of Christianity. I don't care. If it doesn't violate the Bible, I don't care. Okay, so it's not my style. It's not my preference. It's not my songs. It's not my, okay, that's fine. Do you always have to be in charge and in control of everything in order for God to speak to you? Or can you let go of all of that and recognize that God is actually a lot bigger than your preferences? Amen? Amen. And it's okay to have different churches that do it differently, but it's also okay for us to get together and experience God's expressions in ways that we're not used to. And so I encourage you in that. You know, I get together with this woman named Tasha, and we raise kids and have a farm, and guess what? We don't see it eye to eye. Can you believe that, John? We got to see it differently. It's important because when we see it differently, then God works among us newly and differently. And so don't run away from everything that seems foreign or strange to you because God may have something for you. John chapter 14, verse 6. Listen to what Jesus says here. Jesus told him, I am the way. I mean, isn't that cool? Wouldn't you love to be able to say this? Hey, just want to give you a heads up. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I mean, this dude is the dude. All right? This is Jesus. He didn't say, I am a way. He said, I am the way. He didn't say, I am a truth. He didn't say, I am your truth. He said, I am the truth. Amen? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. If you want to have a good life, follow my life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Nobody else can say that. Do you understand that Christianity is the only religion in the world that has worship music? We're the only religion that worships our God. Yes, there are other religions that chant and hope to keep him happy and hope to do this and hope to... But do you understand that we have a genre called worship music and it's sacred and it's holy and it's directed to him and it is declare his glory and his goodness to us. That's unique to Christianity. From now on, you, he says, you do not know him. You've seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Jesus replied, you ready? Have I been with you all this time, Philip? And yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me, Jesus says, you've seen the Father. See, Jesus is the embodiment of God's glory. Jesus is the embodiment, the perfect embodiment of God's glory. We are to worship him instead of anything or anyone else. So listen to the words that God gives Ezekiel. Look at verse 7. They and their kings will not defile my holy name any longer, 
by their adulterous worship of other gods, or by honoring the relics of their kings who have died. Anybody see the world news last night? Coronation? Holy oil? Psalm 98? You should look it up. They went all the way back to the Old Testament, to, to David and Solomon. And there was a practice yesterday in England, that, that godly country, right? Not as godly as our country. And they had a coronation, and they were pointing to a king, a man, and they were saying back there in the Old Testament, they were doing this, we're doing this, and then they declare Psalm 98 as the anthem of their nation. I thought it was remarkable. I thought it was incredible. Now let them study. Excuse me, verse, verse 9. Now let them stop worshiping other gods and honoring the relics of their kings. I'm going to live among them. Son of man, describe to the people of Israel the temple I've shown you, so they'll be ashamed of all their sins. Let them study its plan. And they'll be ashamed of what they have done. Describe to them all the specifications of the temple, including its entrances and its exits, everything else about it. Tell them about its decrees and laws. Write down all these specifications and decrees as they watch so they'll be sure to remember and follow them. This is the basic law of the temple. You ready? Absolute holiness. The entire top of the mountain where the temple is built is holy. Yes, this is the basic law of the temple. So how does the temple reveal God's glory? Number three, it is revealed through the laws and rituals of the temple fulfilled through Jesus. It's revealed through the laws. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. So it's accomplished through the law and the rituals. And they all point to Jesus because he's the one who fulfills all of these things for us. Look at Psalm 24. And by the way, any Jewish person knows that Psalm 24 is what kind of psalm? Does anybody know? Somebody said it, a messianic psalm. So when it asks the question, who can ascend to the holy hill? Here's the answer. Only the Messiah. Only the Messiah. And then, parenthetical note, and anyone following the Messiah, because his holiness is shed abroad on us. Amen? Psalm 24, who may climb to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. You ever told a lie? Okay, I don't even need to ask. I don't want you to have to tell another one. They'll receive the Lord's blessing. They'll have a right relationship with God their Father. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. Now open up ancient gates. There we go. You see it? Open up ancient doors. Let the king of glory enter. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, invincible in battle. Open up ancient gates. Open up ancient doors. Let the king of glory enter. It's going to be a rude awakening for Solomon when he realizes that Jesus can open the eastern gates. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of heaven's armies. He is the king of glory. This is a messianic prophecy fulfilled through Jesus. See, Jesus is the king of glory. He is the Lord of heaven's army. You go, where do you get that? Well, let's look at the Bible. Revelation 19.11, that I saw heaven opened. 
And a white horse was standing there. Its rider's name was Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and his head there were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. And he wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He'll rule them with a rod of iron. He'll release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a winepress on his robe at his thigh. Was written this title. Yes, he has a tattoo. King of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the leader of God's holy army. So look at how Peter says it plays itself out. Look at 1 Peter 1.13. So prepare your minds for action. This is tough. Exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I'm holy. And remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. Did you catch that? God has no favorites. You're not God's favorite. He has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him. So let me stop there just a second because I want you to hear something very clearly. Any comparison of yourself to someone else is an absolute waste of time. You will not be rewarded off of whether you're better than somebody or worse than somebody. You will be rewarded for who you are. That's it. That's it. So, pardon the farm analogy. Try to find the mule blinders and get focused on Jesus. As much as you possibly can, get focused on Jesus and say, you know what? Great for them, great for them, great for them, great for them. Or as my coach says, coach your own team. And stop trying to coach everybody else's. Coach your team. Coach your life. Live your life. And remember, you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value, by the way. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but now in these last days has been revealed for your sake. Verse 21, through Christ you've come to trust in God. You've placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him, him, great glory. So how does the temple reveal God's glory? Number four, it's revealed through you. Now it's going to get personal. The glory of God's temple is revealed through you because accepting Jesus, you ready? Makes you the temple. So God sent this physical temple in the Old Testament. He showed us that it points all the way to the second coming of Jesus. And then if we give our lives to Jesus, guess what we become? 
we become that physical temple on this earth. This is beautiful. This is powerful. You say, I don't know. I'm not sure I agree with this. I'm not sure. Okay, well, let's see what the Bible has to say again. Because one of the worst things you can ever say as a follower of Jesus Christ is, I don't thank God. Okay, just what does the Bible say? Because it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. It only matters what God's word says. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Ooh. Maybe some of us didn't. Who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Amen? And a lot of times people just want to talk about sex when we get to this. That's just one of many things. There's all kinds of opportunities to honor God with our bodies. And one of the greatest ways to honor God with our bodies, you ready? Worship Him. Stop worshiping yourself. Stop worshiping other people's opinions of you. Stop worshiping what you have or what you don't have. You know, the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. You go, yeah, those rich people, they've got a problem. No, I know lots of poor people that love money. I know some people that don't have any that love it more than those that do. So just be real careful at, at how you measure and, and justify and judge this world because, because you don't have to have money to love it. And the love of money is the root of all evil. And God wants our bodies to be his holy temple. And he wants us to come together and to worship him. So how you live matters. You ready? This is, it's going to get real personal now. How you live matters. Why? Well, because then God will love me. No, God already loves you. He ain't going to love you anymore. He ain't going to love you any less. Why does it matter how you live? Because I get asked this a lot. I mean, if I'm going to heaven, what difference does it make how I live? Here's why it matters. Because how you live represents God's glory to other people. How you live your life is the only glory of God they may ever see. Do you understand that? And so how you live matters. And I got to tell you this because it just really blessed me. You know that guy, that basketball player that wants to teach me how to shoot? For, for some reason, he, he like walked up on Thursday, put his arm around me, gave me a hug. I'm like, what is going on? It was so encouraging. It was such an amazing moment. It was such an amazing moment. See, how we live matters. How we interact, and, and none of us are going to be perfect, but listen, when you move and interact with people, God's glory is revealed through you. Whether you work on campers, whether you make coffee, whether you mow yards, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do with your life. The Bible says whatever you do, do to the what? To the glory of God. Why? Because if you'll do what you're doing, pardon my frankness here for a second. Can I be real frank for a second? I've never seen so many people with such piss poor attitudes about their jobs. Do you realize 
that God has called you to do what you do so that his glory can be revealed through what you do. And your perpetual complaining about what you do is hindering the glory of God in your life into your co-workers' lives. And if you'll get a better attitude, you'll be shocked at how much glory from God comes through you to other people. Amen? Amen. Come on, amen? amen? This is where it begins. This is where it begins. Do you realize that because you invited people to Easter this past year, that 28 people raised their hand, 20 adults, and eight kids raised their hand and said, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I mean, that, that's awesome. That's incredible. We had this guy contact us, and he said, hey, um, I want to come back. I live in Phoenix, but I want to come back and get baptized at Vanguard because that's where I met Jesus. Isn't that cool? Isn't that amazing? Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central Podcast. We encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.